This is Dream Space from Factory International with me, Gemma Kearney. I'm an art lover, a broadcaster, and for as long as I can remember, I've always been interested in how the power of our imaginations can help us dream up new worlds for ourselves. In every episode, we're inviting a special guest to take over our minds, our imaginations, our dream space with whatever they want, creating their perfect lineup of art, music, inspiration and more. Together we'll create a new vision pushing the boundaries of what is possible, asking what kind of art the world needs right now and inventing tomorrow together. There's no limit to dreams, so open up your mind, get relaxed and let's get dreaming. Today our dreamer is the brilliant Scotty. Scotty is a multi-award winning artist making work for theatres, ears and walls, tackling topics such as class, bodies, queerness, privilege and so much more. Based in Manchester, this year they've been working on the faggots and their friends between revolutions. A piece of musical theatre about a world where fables and myths celebrate queer community, friendship and pleasure. It had its world premiere at Factory International's MIF 2023 and is described as a manifesto for survival for the marginalised everywhere. Today we are joined by old pal of mine, Scotty. Hello, Scotty. Oh, hello. I know the special guest wasn't available today, so I'll just slide in. I feel like I've been around the block for a little while these days and it kind of feels like that in many scenarios where I'm a bit like, oh, like I'm being reconnected with wonderful faces that I do know. And uh, it's, a, it's a lovely warming feeling getting older, I think. I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's certain things which, I, you know, like it's really difficult to like be generous and kind to yourself when you're living in such an age-obsessed capitalist I mean we're getting there look you ask a question and I'm gonna go full in um yeah situation so I think aging is like an interesting one for for me I was thinking about this today in the shower because I remember being at one of your significant birthdays I think it was your 30th birthday so it was only a few months ago oh yes and like it's interesting when you've known somebody for like a period of time and you're like you see how they change and what things they do in their life and what I think getting older is about reprioritizing constantly and the older I get the more kind of not complacent I get but some of the battles I'm like I don't know if I'm ever going to win that one in my lifetime I hear you I absolutely hear you articulated very well because I think I agree post therapy post mid 30s it all feels a little bit more gentle in my life and and it needs to be it echoes a bit what you were saying about like the fight or the drama or the energy, the activation, the activism. It's a, for me, again, like exactly what you said, it's about prioritising. And sometimes that's like, for me, it's like prioritising a softer, more tender sense of atmosphere. I think in our 20s, both you and I and uh, the people that are around us, we were like, 
the capital that we had available to us was like coolness and we were angry and we wanted to change things and we we're going to set this thing up and it's going to do this thing. And then you get to your mid thirties and you're like, I quite fancy a lie down. <laughs> <laughs> this brings me on nicely to us going on a dreamscape together. Imagine the space. What does it look like? We're inviting you into a world that is your own, Scotty. We've talked about where you're at now at this point in your own journey. Where would you like to take us all? What would I look like? I mean, the, the places that I feel most at home are usually like working men's clubs or community centres with a bit of glitter slash and a stage and a sign that says no prams on the dance floor. I love that sort of function room feel that you get in like, they're very stereotypically working class spaces that have these, these rules and drinks are usually a very weird price, but it all feels really accessible to me. It feels like I understand the language. I know what the commerce is there. Often when I still go into art centres, and I've been in art centres around the world, you know, and performed in them, I always feel a bit alien. I feel a bit foreign. I feel like the sandwiches are far too expensive. I feel like I don't understand what the artwork is trying to tell me and maybe somebody's going to come up to me in a minute and be like, sorry, you're not behaving the right way. So the more that I can make it feel like a nan's living room, the better for me. Just as long as it felt welcoming and there was a cup of tea, because I think a cup of tea goes a long Mm. way. So geographically, I think I can be open, but what I want architecturally is quite important. I love that. Welcoming. There is something about a function room or that municipality thought. And I do actually think there may be a synergy with some of the most high-end fancy buildings or art spaces that I've been in that have really wowed me and really helped me feel like I'm sort of levitating somehow in comparison to a space that you might find on an estate that's used regularly by families that is dressed up for celebration. There is some kind of something that brings that feeling together. And maybe it is celebration. Maybe it is enjoying oneself. And potential. You know, all of those spaces have potential to be something else the next day. So, you know, like in those function rooms or those working men's clubs, you know, one day it might be a cabaret show and the next day there might be a yoga practice in there and the following day it might be a tea group for parents. So I'm really like, I love that potential. I have to shout out Bethnal Green Working Men's Club because you've made me go there in my mind. I think it's one of the best spaces that I've ever been to. It is a beautiful space in East London that I think many of us like cut our teeth out or had a DJ set out or did some experimental performance at. And I think, again, for a certain group of people that were around East London at a certain moment, it was a base for trying things out. And so I feel really lucky that there was that available. I think a lot of the big cities around the world now lack that space because space becomes so valuable 
valuable that those spaces get commandeered, knocked down, they get turned into condos. And I really feel quite strongly that what we're doing is we're destroying working class architecture. We're destroying the epicenters where people have had births, christenings, weddings, their first kiss, you know, these, these spaces that bring people together. They hold the answer to the question that a lot of arts industry people across the world are trying to answer in their head. Okay, so I'm imagining a carpet. I'm imagining everyone feels comfortable in there and that there's clear signage where you can go for a wee. Whoever you are, you can go for a wee easily. Cheaply priced drinks. What's, what, kind of, what kind of beverages or snacks are available? I feel quite strongly about this. I think it needs to be a buffet. Okay. Because I think... In all the art centres I've been to around the world, they charge a lot of money for a sandwich and it's never any good. And so I think it needs to be a buffet. Now, for those uninitiated with a buffet, I'm sort of talking plates and platters of things that people have made with love that you can pick and choose, otherwise known in the northwest of England as picky bits. And you can just like be like, you can curate your own meal. And I think that's quite important, actually. And I, I do have a very strong feeling... <laughs> I have a very strong feeling about the dishes that I'd like to be on my buffet, if you would indulge me to go into this. Yes, please. I would like to call myself a connoisseur of potato salad. OK? <laughs> now, I've tried potato salad in various different cultures around the world. Very lucky. And it's quite the contentious issue, a potato salad, because a kartoffel salad in Germany is not the same as an ensalada rusa in Spain. I've also had American potato salad. I've had Japanese potato salad. I've got my feelings about which one's the best. Japanese one, obviously. (laughs) But everyone, mostly, sort of, in the world, has a version of carbohydrate with some form of, like mayo type thing but then the rest of it is really up for like debate about what goes into it so I'd love to do a buffet (laughs) this is the most uh, like Irish thing I've ever said (laughs) I would love to have a buffet of potato salads and giving people (laughs) like the culinary experiences of potato salads from around the world Mm, this sounds yummy (laughs) it's good because look okay right I'm gonna go into it because I can hear that you're not convinced in Germany okay I'm gonna convince you in Germany the potato given bit of mayonnaise they put a bit of mustard in it to give it a bit of oh yeah okay (laughs) and they also put apple in it okay exactly yeah in (laughs) Japan they make it with very expensive branded mayonnaise which makes it very rich it's got lots of egg yolks in it and they also put really neatly cut up bits of carrot in it which I think is stunning if you go to Spain it's got like tuna and langoustine in it it's very it's quite camp stop it langoustine langoustine yeah big word for me and in America I mean it's less fancy it's just you know dregs of everything else but you know I think that is culture exposure that we would be giving people via the buffet lovely so it's almost artistic eating right I think food can be well yeah but not in a poncy way not in a uh, here's 25 micro herbs on a potato way do you know what I mean in a knock yourself (laughs) out give us a fiver (laughs) and you can keep coming back to the buffet as much as you like that would be so popular 
anyone anywhere wants to be able to keep going back and refill. Yeah, and also, you know, when you're about to see a show or you're going to do this marathon of events that I've got planned for you, you're going to need the carbohydrate. All right, this is good. We've got our potato salad. We feel comfortable. It's so inviting. What are we going to see? Where to start? Should we start with the art on the walls? Yes, please. Well... This is largely to bully someone who's very close to my heart called James Unsworth. He's got this project that he did during lockdown where he got fat people from across the world to send him pictures of themselves naked and semi-naked, but in the poses of Greek ancient ceramics. And then he redrew them all. Wonderful. um, With sort of contemporary icons in them. And it's a beautiful, absolutely stunning collection. You can see it. It's on his Instagram. You can see it. They're all beautiful. He's done a book with them. And he's always threatened to me, like, oh, I'm going to turn that into a project. I'm going to actually make the ceramics with these fat people on them. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see it. Well, we're three years after the the lockdowns and he still hasn't done it so I sort of feel like a deadline might be helpful for him how big are these sculptures going to be they're like big Greek vases that they used to keep wine and you know I don't know halloumi fries in or whatever you know like these massive like plates as well with these beautiful pictures on them so I think they could be quite big but I think they'd be beautiful because you'd look at them and you think oh these look like ancient objects and you get up close to them and it's this beautiful array of fat bodies and I think it's a really beautiful way of platforming fatness and giving fatness space within art centres. I love this. Okay, so we're going to have lovely sound quality. The equipment's going to be top spec and uh, we will play to your brief. So what is your brief? Well, see, the thing is, you say top spec, but some of the best nights I've ever had out have been with a dodgy speaker when I've stuck to the floor. Do you know what I mean? So a little bit of mildew on the floor where people are sort of sticking to it, I don't think will be a bad thing. I, I like music that talks to me politically and I think two bands at the moment that I would love to like see with each other talking to each other musically and politically would be there's one band from Yorkshire they're called Yard Act they do these quiet poetic post-punk post-pulp chatty witty kind of takedowns of British gammon right-wing culture they talk about capitalism i mean it's just brilliant and it's excellent and then there's an amazing trio that i love called big Joni, and they are like three black political femmes who believe in trade unionism who literally just come back from touring with la tigra another amazing band i must say their ethics like they check in with people halfway for the gig how is everyone is everyone feeling okay it's just like a soft kind beautiful politically charged space that I would just love those both of those bands to sort of come together and see each other I think music for me when it's really hit me or has been the tracks that I'm like repeat 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 isn't your Kylie Padams I must say it's the the numbers of which I I hear someone is saying something that relates to my experience so I think those two bands I would definitely love to see in collaboration how important is category to you? Because if you're filling out a funding app, for example, I know this is, a, is perhaps a bit behind the scenes. And if you're an artist listening, then you will know what I'm going on about. 
but from an organisational level of creating space, exhibition, pieces of work, from being a multidisciplined artist in the world, whether it's live art, whether it's theatre, whether you're creating something to look at and put on the wall, we do have to sometimes distill visions and come up with the right language around them. And I have this flip-flop relationship personally with category because it can often be quite binary what do you think in terms of form and category and genre I think I'm really blessed to have never been trained or have any form of qualifications because it's never been something that has ever felt this is this is what I do I am a dot 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 so I've made dance shows I've made circus shows I've made countless cabarets light entertainment shows I've got podcasts Across all of my work, be it audio, performance or fine art, reclamation of spaces, installations, the one common theme is about giving place to people who aren't given it. It's about a gathering. It's about bringing people together and to listen and to think productively about our futures. So, uh, you know, I think category I'm not that holy about in the same way that when people say oh what do you do I'm like well I'm an artist and then they're like well what sort of art and I'm like I mean just all art I just do art I mean why do we need to narrow it down and I think we could all do with being a little less precious about how we're seen professionally I think for me it's about the intention behind the work behind the person it's more about what are we doing with this money how are we doing with this money and and what benefit I think work for me fundamentally has to have purpose I'm glad that you mentioned the word money because there are boards of people there are companies there are experts consultants etc perhaps listening to this right now thinking how can we buy this magic how can we make sure that we fund this particular magic and for want of a better word, buzzword of authenticity, you know, how can we capture all of this excitement and genuine sense of togetherness that Scotty could bring? How can we empower all those around us to get on board with the kind of conduit that is art? I think uh, as an industry, the best thing that they could do was set fire to it. I think it needs to be radically rethought. I'm now of the age where I've been in my third cycle of some of these conversations that the arts wants to have with itself. And where I think these conversations are really important, there is no structural change that happens with them. And when you've repeated those conversations and you've been in those rooms time and time again, you become fatigued by it. I think particularly in the UK, there is a lot of money that is spent on what I like to call artistic, architectural romanticism. And it's this idea that we must keep these buildings in place because they've always been there and it's important. And I think you have to start at the ground and be like, why is this building important? Why is it so important that this building is giving disproportionately this amount of funding? And I think when things are funded through the public purse I think the public have the right to scrutinise them and I think we have to move away from this idea that because it's a building it's somehow precious 
you know, and I think artists do have the answers because they know what audiences are wanting and thinking and feeling. And so I think it has to get out of the boardroom and power has to come to the worker. And I know I'm going to sound like a massive trade union socialist, but, you know, so what I am. I think there has to be greater respect and responsibility and cash and care given to artists to do that work. In the dream space, how do we commission? How do you, at the the helm of this space, find a way for audiences to come and enjoy really top-quality, life-changing work? I think, do you know what? I don't think it's that magic. I think people like to think it's, there's some weird, particularly like organisations are like, oh, how do you reach working class audiences? I'm like, you just make work about working class issues. It's not that difficult. It's, 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 it's really not that hard. <laughs> you know, you make it, you make your spaces accessible. I think if you just think about it holistically, if you just think about like who you want to get into that space, it's really easy to find ways of getting them into that space. I think for too long, the arts industry has had this conversation with itself where it's like, how do we reach hard to reach communities? And I'm like, that's the wrong question to be asking. What you've got to be asking yourself is, why don't they want to come to see our dusty yeah. old Shakespeare play? <laughs> Why is it that no one wants to come to that? Well, I'll tell you why no one wants to come to that. But if you see some of the biggest pieces of work that have had massive audiences and massive working class audiences to it, and it hasn't even looked at accessible pricing tickets, that people are feeling and thinking right now and it speaks to them and it is in language that they understand and it is in methods in which they understand and they will come to it. The arts likes to think it is super difficult, but really that's just a curtain to hide behind. <laughs> I am in love with this dream. I really, really, really am. I want a party to finish on, though. I mean, I can't. It can't yeah. just be all art. I stuff, do have a question know? before the party mm. happens, though, because I feel inspired. I've come into the space and I'm inspired. I've learned a lot, and it's cool, and I'm feeling my best self. My eyes and ears are open. How do I leave the space and take this feeling? What's that practical piece of advice? Quite often, I think people mark upon the care that I place around my work and the boundaries of which I place around my work. So there's always a structure within it in which if people are given a free sheet at the end, they are given forwarding directions to organisations that they might collaborate with, work with or understand. I'm always asking organisations that are hosting me to be like, okay, what other work are you doing that's going to back this up? Um, And for us to be like really open about that. I think you putting work on stage isn't the exclamation. I think it's just the ellipsis and that's three dots put together if you don't know what that means and I think it's the start of that conversation I think the expectation that art will change something is far too much expectation to put on artists shoulders I think what we're able to do is to provide space in which people are able to galvanize yes oh oh I feel ignited okay I've gone back to my robust 20s thanks Scotty (laughs) 
I'm going to go and put on a, a huge 80s prom dress and get out there. <laughs> Um, okay, this is so exciting. Let's have a party. The prom dress is on. I'm feeling good. I've got my badges. I've met some great people. My phone is charging. The drinks are so cheap. Cheers. You're welcome. You've got your little bowl of potato salad. Yes, seriously good. I do like the one with langoustines in. Told you. <laughs> so does it descend into mass party? 100%. Yeah, I think it's got to be queer euphoria really and some of the most informative nights that I've ever had that I've also been performing at and it's very rare that you're performing at something or you've made something for a night that you then enjoy the night because you know you're usually in wet mode but every time I've ever performed at Ducky I've had a brilliant time now Ducky is a performance cabaret night that plays really decent music until two o'clock in the morning and it's been running for like the last 25 years and when I was 18 I first got a gig doing a Saturday night there at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, London's like most notorious drag bar that's been there for donkey's years. And it felt like something changed within me. And throughout every London Pride that in my 20s, Ducky would do, uh, instead of doing Gay Pride, they did Gay Shame. And it was this amazing night that would happen in massive venues. And loads of artists were commissioned to make installations. I remember once doing one where we all had to represent a country because it was for World Pride and I got Sweden out of the hat. And so I made couples um, come to this club night and they could earn drinks vouchers by putting together IKEA furniture within a certain (laughs) period of time. So like really ridiculous moments like that. So I would love Ducky to be hosting us with a gay shame. And I would love so much with all my heart for Roisin Murphy to be the headline act because... I mean, she's just Ireland's answer to Grace Jones. She's like weird and kooky. She's like the crazy aunt you wish you had. But the tunes, the tunes. Um, and I just think the magic of those things coming together would be a good giggle. I said descend into party. I'm going to change my language into does it ascend into party? <laughs> <laughs> I think it will, yeah. And I think, I think it will finish at a suitable hour. I think two o'clock is the sweet spot, right? Because, you know, gone are the days of me going out much, shall we say, much later. Two o'clock um, is definitely a limit. Two o'clock for me feels like, oh my God, I've been out for ages. <laughs> my goodness. I mean, that even feels a bit late. I feel like I'm quaking. <laughs> we'll have some paracetamol ready for the morning. <laughs> oh, wow, Scotty. It's been a feast for the imagination. Thank you so much. This is going to be the best party dream space ever. And I think that being able to leverage power for artists so that a blueprint that feels safe and something that we can all work towards without it being too lofty and in that really annoying institutional hierarchical like difficulty that we create within art worlds. I think we need to smash down those barriers and just say, look, this is, is fair and this isn't. And let's make some fantastic work and let's have a great time. Yeah, because at the end of the day, as I like to always come back to, it's only art. It's only art, do you know what I mean? Don't don't get your knickers in a twist about it. It's only a picture on a wall. <laughs> That's the perfect end. 
I'm Gemma Kearney and you've been listening to Dream Space from Factory International. Today you heard Scotty's vision and you can join us next time as our guest takes us on a journey around their dream space. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Your support means a lot to us. If you can't wait until the next episode, you can head to Factory International's website to find out about more exciting artistic content on Factory Plus. And if you missed the last episode with the actor Maxine Peake taking us around her dream space, you can find it there too. Over and out for now. Thank you. I'll be back in your ears again soon. Dream Space was hosted by me, Gemma Kearney, and the series is produced by Tess Davidson and Katie Callan. With sound design by Femi Oriogan-Williams and theme music by Carmel Smickersgill. The executive producer is Dan Jackson and it is reduced listening production for Factory International. Curated by Scott Smith and Alex Mannion-Jones.